we'll look at the characteristics of this text. Mark 2, we're just going to read the first five verses, and then I'll pray, and you can be seated. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, referring to Jesus. By this time, he's already done many miracles. He's taught in several places. And it was noise that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. We're getting close. (laughs) It's a good problem. It's a good problem. And he preached the word unto them. What do you do with that many people? What did Jesus do? He preached to them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, and we'll leave off the reading there. Just want to talk to you tonight about extraordinary effort number one, and we'll get to that here momentarily. Father, thank you for what you did in this passage, and thank you for what you are doing today. And God, I, so many stories are coming to my mind even right now of things that are happening in our culture, things that have happened this previous week, things that happened yesterday, things that happened last week. And and there's so much that is overwhelming. There's so much that is heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. There is so much that is enraging and infuriating. But God, while we need to be aware of those things and we need to mourn and we need to seek to make a difference, we cannot become hopeless because you are doing a great thing. The salvation that you give through Jesus Christ has not changed and the word of God has not lost its power, and the work of the Holy Spirit is, is not limited in our day. God, I believe that you are working. I believe that you're working here, and I believe that you're working in many places around the world. But tonight, help us to understand, both from the illustration and from the message, that much of what you desire to do, you have called your people to be the conduit and the source through which you work. And so, Father, help us to recognize, help us to embrace and confront ourselves with this reality. We will not see the maximum of your work through casual effort. Help us to embrace, over the coming weeks, the the idea of extraordinary effort and what that practically looks like in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. As you read in the text, Jesus is in Capernaum, and he's ministering in a house. And word spreads, and it's literally standing room only. Just want to praise the Lord that we can sit down. But if we need to stand up, I know we have the kind of people that would be willing to stand up. So word spreads, and it's standing room only, and they are crammed into every possible nook and cranny. I even believe that they are peeking in through windows that would be cut into the walls and they're listening in the doorway and and they're spilling out into the courtyard and in the street, areas further down the street. And literally, as you would approach the house, you could tell possibly from a block or two, maybe from several blocks away, you could tell that there was a massive amount of people that were assembled and that something exciting was going on. And as As word begins to spread, it's Jesus that is there. 
And by this time, he has already healed many. He has already been teaching the word of God and informing and making people aware that he isn't just another teacher, that he is the eternal Messiah, the son of God that's been promised. And specifically because of the authority of his word and because of his healing power, people are assembling wherever he is in mass in order to get close to him. Now think of this. We're talking about some 2,000 years ago when there were diseases that today would be common and very simple to overcome. Back then they could be deadly. In addition, when you read the accounts of the gospel during Jesus' earthly ministry, it seems there was an increase in satanic opposition and attack upon that particular area to resist his work. And so you have sicknesses that are laying, ravaging people's lives. You have this de demonic oppression that is opposing the work of Jesus Christ and afflicting people. And yet no matter what he's confronted with, whether it's blindness or leprosy, whether it's fever, whether it's hunger, whether it's a loss of life, it doesn't matter what it is. Jesus proves that he has the power each and every time to deal with whatever the situation is. And word is beginning to spread. By the way, by the way, this is the best kind of advertisement for a church family. That the people who are benefiting from it be excited about how they're benefiting from it. And they just start talking to other people about how they're benefiting from being there. And word spreads and people are excited about what's going on. And so they assemble at this house. I don't know why he was at this particular house, but he was there. And he began to preach and people are crowding in, packing in, looking in, peeking in. Well, we're introduced to an individual that had a great need. We're going to describe him based on the description from the text in verse number three. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Paralysis can affect an arm, it can affect a spine, the entire body, but it was obviously debilitating to the point that this man could not care for himself. All right, so Brother Michael asked me, like, are you, you going to make me do something embarrassing? Yes. <laughs> so come on up here. Big, handsome guy. But you have palsy, so lay down. No, no, lay down. No, 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 no. No, no, come on, you have palsy. Thank you. There you go, okay, thank you. All right, enjoy the humor for a moment. For a moment. But that was a real condition. But I want you to pause for a moment and not only focus on the physical limitations. There are people whose lives have been ravaged by sin. That though they may appear to be fine and healthy outwardly, their marriages are in danger. Their habits are laying waste to them. They have no hope for the future. They are turning to substances in order to find internal peace and relief. They live in a state of anxiety or frustration. They're not able to overcome the stronghold 
of things like pornography or anger. Their lives are filled with bitterness and resentment because of things that have been done to them. Their lives are filled with regret because of failures that they've made and they wish that there was some kind of relief from the embarrassment that they feel. There are people today who walk our streets and they seem to have the car, they seem to have the job, they seem to have the house that everybody envies, and yet they are literally contemplating whether or not their life is even worth living anymore. And they may seem to be functional on the outside, but inwardly they are paralyzed by the effects of sin and being separated from God. And this man in our text, and what Brother Michael is so graciously helping us to recognize, is that people in that condition are powerless to help themselves. This is the man that cannot help himself. He represents the women that cannot help themselves. He represents the teenagers that are being inundated with an onslaught of, of gender confusion that are seeking some kind of security and identity outside of what God intended. And no matter what they try or where they turn, they cannot find peace or relief. These are individuals that cannot help themselves. And so please get this. In order for his situation to improve, it has to come from outside of him. See it? In order for his situation to improve. No. It has to come from outside of him. He can't help himself. Verse 3, he was born of four. But then, but then, we are also introduced to the man who could help anyone. Verse 1 and 2, he entered Capernaum, and it was noise that he, that he was in the house. I know it's just one pronoun, but it's a significant pronoun, because there's no other one like him. There is no other one with his ability. There's no other one with his capacity to help. There's no other one with the ability to do what he could do. It's amazing that in this text, we're not dealing with this tonight, but he says, he says in, verse number, in verse number five, he sees their faith and he says unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. So before he even does the physical work, he addresses the spiritual need, which is the greatest need. And what's amazing about that from a theological perspective in his day is there were people saying, who is this that doth forgive sins? Who does he think he is? And the point was this, if he could raise this guy up, then he had power to forgive sins. So then he raised the guy up and the statement was clear, man, if this guy can heal him, then he can forgive his sins, obviously too. So we're talking about the one who can help anyone. And I'm not sure we always believe what we say we believe. I don't think anybody is outside or beyond the help of Jesus Christ. No, I understand not everyone is going to receive the help that is offered in Jesus Christ, but that's a personal decision. That's not because God ordained that. 
No, I want to say it again. That's a personal decision. That's not because God ordained that. God is not willing that any should perish. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God wants to save everyone that is alive today. And he was willing to save anyone that has previously lived. And he has a desire to save anyone that, that will live. God can help. God can rescue. God can restore anyone. And we've got it in our minds that God only works through a certain code of dress or conduct or cultural background. But I'm telling you, the power of the gospel is strong enough to penetrate the most confusing, frustrating, messed up situations that you can think of. It can reach into prison cells. It can reach into whatever kind of depravity or confusion you want to talk about. The gospel of Jesus Christ can help anyone, any. Where? If you don't believe that, I want to ask, why are you here? Oh, it can help anyone. I always want to be careful about this. I don't, and I, I don't want this to become a joke, okay? I, we need to hold the name of Jesus in high regard. And so I'm not, I'm, this isn't a joke. I don't want this to turn into a joke. I'm asking for your help in that. But I want you to see it. And so Brother Josh is going to stand in the place of Jesus, which, by the way, is a biblical concept, because when you look at 1 Corinthians, he says this, I pray you in Christ's stead. So he represents Jesus. He's there teaching. And he's there. Do you remember the statement? Please hear me. Do you remember the statement? If he's going to be helped. It's going to have to come from outside of him. It's going to take an extraordinary effort. Because this is what God intends. That the gap between the ones who cannot help themselves and the one who can help anyone, that gap is to be bridged by those who have already been helped. I want to be careful here. I don't want to hit you, bro. I just want it to be visible. The gap that exists. And there is a gap. Study statistics about who actually goes to church anymore. Study statistics about what churches are actually preaching any semblance of the gospel anymore. Study statistics about biblical illiteracy and how people are increasingly ignorant of even the basic idea of God. And our culture is being consumed with all sorts of false religions and pagan ideas and witchcraft and different Eastern mysticisms. And, and, and we prioritize all sorts of things. But the name of Jesus in many homes, they've never heard it used in any other way except as a profane expression of their frustration in a moment. There is a gap between those who cannot help themselves and the one who can help anyone. You know what I'm afraid we do as churches? Well, look, hey, you can come to Jesus. No, no, you, you can come to Jesus. No, imagine. Imagine that man sick of the palsy. He's laying there on his cot. And his friends come to him. Hey, hey, Jesus, 
He's just, he's just about a mile away, and he can heal. We've heard him heal people in worse condition than you. He can make you well. We've heard that he can raise the dead. Go see him. No, I understand. I do. I understand that there are, that there are lifestyles. I understand that there are sinful behaviors. I understand that there are angry people and frustrated people. I understand that there are broken things, and, we, and we've got to walk a careful line to where we're not compromising, and we're, we're trying to protect our children from godless influences. But we're also commanded to be the light and the salt of Jesus Christ. And people that are helpless cannot logically help themselves. How do you expect someone to know something that they've never heard? How do you expect someone who's grown up only hearing his name used as an, as an adjective to express their anger? How can you expect them to know that Jesus loves them and died for them? No, your children have the privilege of hearing his name in the right way multiple times a week. You have the privilege of having grown up or being introduced to a church where his name is lifted up and his grace is manifested on a weekly basis and we rejoice in him. But there are people who literally cannot help themselves. There's a gap. Look, I'm thankful for this. Jesus being God, he could throw a rock. He can work through an ark. He can part the Red Sea. He can use a stone to kill a giant. He can, do what, he can do whatever it is that he wants, but this is what he's chosen in our day, to use us to bridge that gap. He can help anyone. Oh, man, I hope we say, I hope, I hope we really believe this. My God can help anyone. I believe it. I'm living my life and placing my eternity on the belief that the God I serve can help anyone. I believe that. But they can't help themselves. All right. Pause for just a moment. Are you good? You've done a good job staying awake. <laughs> Look, I, I work out. And if his life was really in danger and he started crying, help me, pastor, I would find another level. But <laughs> I don't want to mess up your point. One person was never intended to get involved. One person can't do it all. I don't care how much they love the Lord. I don't care how much passion they have. One person will never be enough to help all the people that need to be helped. I mean, thankfully, we got some people that can help. 
And Brother Mark, that beard just looks awesome. Come up here. Brother Jeremy, come on up here. Brother Matt, come on up here. He's really big. Brother Andrew, come up here. I'm not talking about Brother Matt. I'm talking about Brother Michael. Jaden, come up here. You obviously work out. You're obviously like your father. Get over there. Get over there. Get over there. Oh. Let's see, who else do I want to pick on? Brother Zach, don't put your head down. Come on up here. <laughs> hey, Brother Justin, come on up here. I love how you help. I love how you bring your kids, man. I love it. Come on. Come on. Come on. And it wasn't too long ago. You know what happened with Brother Justin? Someone helped him to the gospel. All right, fellas, just get a piece here. <laughs> you ready? Don't drop. Okay, we got him. We got him. I'm not even doing it. <laughs> hey, you're in my shot, bro. Back, back. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, are you good? Yeah. yeah, sweet. Okay, you know what's happening right here? Cooperation. Cooperation. I, I know we've done this before, but Brother Andrew and Brother Jeremy are down there by the feet. <laughs> Brother Matt... Got the head. Jaden's right here, right there. But it's cooperation. It's men willing to be a part in whatever way is needed so that they can help him to come to Christ. Lesson number one, extraordinary effort is extraordinary cooperation. Guys, you can gently stand him up. And then you can all go be seated. Can you just stand here by me for a second? Thank you. Now you're good. Thanks. Anybody can be helped. But it takes God's people willing to cooperate at an extraordinary level in order to make that happen. Jesus, if you notice, I think it's in verse number two or three. Actually, it's verse five. I'm sorry. Look there. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, what did he see? It says he saw his faith. No, sorry. It says he saw their faith. He saw their faith. What did he see? He saw a group of people cooperating to bring someone to him. Extraordinary effort is extraordinary cooperation. Thank you. You can be seated. We live in an age of extreme individualism. You know what I mean by that? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. I refuse to submit myself or to be a part of anything. But the effort of faith 
to help people, has to produce extraordinary effort. And lesson one for us tonight is this. We have to be willing to lay aside not our identity as individuals, but we have to be willing to lay aside some of the expectation that we have as individuals in order to be a part of a family called the local church, in order to cooperate for the purpose of helping those who can't help themselves come to the one who can help anyone. That requires extraordinary cooperation. In 1956, the SS Andrea Doria collided with a Swedish ocean liner, and it could have been another Titanic. The Italian liner hit the MS Stockholm due to operator error during a foggy afternoon in the waters of Nantucket Island, and the nearly head-on collision couldn't be averted by panicked crew members. On board the Andrea Doria, passengers felt a huge jolt along with the sound of clanging metal. In one of the lounges, the ship's orchestra was playing Arriva Derce, Roma, when they were hurled from the stage by the sheer force of the crash. As the ship began to sink, passengers realized that its lifeboats had been all but destroyed, and due to the, lo- due to the location of the collision, as crew members struggled to figure out how to load the remaining lifeboats, other ships in the vicinity hurried to help rescue the passengers and crew. The Titanic disaster had been characterized by a sluggish response and a lack of help from other ships, but this sinking ended up being a triumph of teamwork and organizational skill. Together, at least five other ships, and I'm simply quoting, cooperated to rescue 1,663 crew members, and passengers before the ship capsized and sank. Around 50 people died. Tragic loss, yes. But it would have been far more tragic if there had not been other vessels and crews willing to cooperate for the purpose of help saving lives. Literally, God has left us on this earth to be about the business of rescuing people, bridging the gap, between those who cannot help themselves and the one who can help anyone. And we do that by extraordinary cooperation within the life of a church. Let me give you some characteristics of that cooperation. Number one, the priority of cooperation. Look, we don't have to agree on everything. Please say amen to that. We don't have to agree on everything. There are going to be individual lines that you might draw one place, that someone else might draw another place, which, by the way, Freddy's a thousand times over that place that doesn't know whether it's in or out. (laughs) It's Freddy's all day. Matt Wilkie was asking me, hey, can we stop it in and out on the way to Utah? I'm like, I'm a man of God, bro. I don't do heresy like that. Get that on your own time. We're not wasting a church trip to go to In-N-Out, hallelujah. I don't care what the men's advance crew did. <laughs> Next year, they better be serious about walking with, anyway. <laughs> no, you can, you can have your opinions on certain things, and you can say, well, I'm a little more comfortable with this music, or I'm not as comfortable with this, or I prefer this in this area, or I prefer this in this area. No, there are areas, there are areas for a For people to have different opinions, I believe that, which by the way, we ought to be guided by the fruit of the Spirit in those areas and the commands and the principles given in the Word of God. But there are certain things that we do have to agree on or it's just not going to work out. 
Let me give you two of the main ones tonight. Number one, we got to agree on who Jesus is. No, we have to agree on that. And there is no substitution. He is the exclusive son of God. He is the only salvation that is available. He is the only eternal God. And we must be on the same page that he is preeminent and he is the only one who is able to bring hope and peace in life. And we got to make sure that we guard against this idea ever infiltrating our church. I don't care how God works or how God blesses. And no matter what he does, we must never lose sight of the fact that it's not this church. It's Jesus Christ that is reaching people and changing people's lives. We got to agree on who he is. Not only that, but we got to agree on what he can do. He can help anyone. If you really don't buy into that, you're going to be frustrated. Because if you want to put people in categories of who he can help and who he can't help, that's going to be exposed really quickly, and you're going to be frustrated because we're not limiting ourselves to who the gospel can help and rescue. No, 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 no. We're not going to compromise anything. If you were paying attention at all to the message this morning, you know we have to draw lines to protect ourselves. And you've heard the preaching from the word of God. We're not afraid to take stands, but man, Jesus can save anybody I don't care what the bumper sticker on their car says. I don't care what's in their history. I don't care what's on their warrant. I'm telling you, Jesus can save anybody. And you better agree with that. Not because I said it, but because the Bible says it. I just don't know if I agree with that. Okay, ask the woman at the well. I don't know if I agree with that. Ask the thief on the cross. Not only that, but you're going to have to agree on this, that Jesus' priority is on people. You know who Jesus prioritizes? People. And everything that we do in this church is centered around two things, honoring him and helping people. No, we want to do everything that we can as well as we can to honor him. But we also want to do it as well as we can in order to Help people. And Jesus prioritizes people. You know what the reality of helping people is? It gets messy sometimes. It's not pristine. It's hard. It's frustrating. It's exhausting. But that's who Jesus prioritizes. Jesus prioritizes people. The priority of cooperation. Number two, the honesty of cooperation. You cannot get nearly as much done alone as you can with others helping you. Jesus in the Great Commission did not say, go you. You know why he didn't say, go you? Because he was talking to a church. He said, go ye. We have too many people that want to live a life independent of any kind of authority or structure, but you cannot possibly be a part of the work of God like he intended without being a part of a local church somewhere. I didn't say it has to be this church, but you need to be plugged into a Bible-preaching church somewhere that loves him and that loves people because that's his plan. It is to work through the life of a church. I'm not saying there aren't other good things out there. I'm not saying that there aren't other ways to minister and to help people, but his plan is to be centered through the life of a local church, one that you can be a part of, one that you can help hold people up. One that can help hold you up. Man, I'm not ashamed of saying this. I, I, we try to be reminded of this. You're going to come to a point in your life where you wish you had a church family to rally around you and support you. By the way, my heart's just, mm, 
I love seeing your Don. Dwight, if you don't know who I'm talking about. Seeing Melina, Albina, and Pavlina. I love it. In part, you know what God did? He used the church to rally around a family in a time of tragedy. No, it's wonderful. It's going to be even better at the baptism time. No, it's wonderful. (laughs) You got to be honest. You need a family, and a family needs you. Number three, the submission of cooperation. Each of these men had to submit to a defined role. They couldn't all be at the head, and they couldn't all be at the feet, but they had to be willing to take their place on that, on that cot, whatever it looked like. They had to be willing to take their place alongside that, that man's broken body. They had to be willing to take a hold and be willing to bear up. Cooperation requires that we be submitted to a defined role. Look, we can't all do the same thing. I'm not saying you're not capable of more than one thing and that you don't have specific passions, but we can't all do the same thing. So there must be structure and there must be a willingness to submit to that structure. And I'm not preaching because this is some kind of a problem, but I'm preaching because we need to embrace it and we want to avoid problems. I'm going to call people's names and I'd like you to stand up. Brother Jeff Katona, just stand up. Brother Justin did a great job helping our safety team reach great levels. Brother Jeff, God is, he and Ms. Dana are a blessing from the Lord, and they've come along. And both he and Ms. Dana have added much to our safety team. You can't have everybody being in charge. Like, well, I know how to keep people safe. Congratulations, that's not the point. Somebody has to be in charge. Miss June, would you stand up? June was it? A blessing as my secretary for a few years and the Lord led her to retire and she's continued to oversee the cleaning team. All the cleaning teams. It's not the only thing that she does, but she oversees them. This is what I know about Miss June. She is very attentive to details. And so occasionally she's going to have a conversation with somebody that says, hey, we need to do that differently or we need to do that better or we need to tighten this up. And somebody can get upset or they can get their feelings hurt. But I know Miss June, I know Brother Mike, that their desire is to honor God with the way that things look. And they recognize that people in our culture are turned off when things are dirty or cluttered or unkept. And so this work that goes on by several teams on a weekly basis to keep this property looking and smelling clean, that happens by real people that are willing to submit to a structure. Andrea, can you stand up, baby love? Miss Lindsay Puffy, can you stand up? Miss Lindsay's been helping Andrea with the nursery schedule. Andrea does a great job with it. Lindsay's a blessing in all of that. I understand we got several other ladies that know how to watch babies. But everybody can't be in charge in the nurseries. Somebody has to be in charge. Somebody has to say, no, we're going to sign them in this way, and we're going to change them this way, and we're going to wear this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to have these kind of policies and these kind of procedures. Well, I saw it done differently somewhere else, or I like it being done this way. No, it's all well and good. It's not that there's not more than one way. It's just that one person can only do it one way, and you have to get on board with how it's done. Ms. Carrie, Ms. Jody, can you stand up? Ms. Carrie... Heads up Pee Wee, Jody helps head up Pee Wee. 
Am I saying that? No, not Pee Wee. Beginner's Church. Thank you, Brother Z. About to talk about you. Beginner's Church. Look, there's 18 different ways to run a kid's program. Okay, don't be nervous about this. There's 18 different ways to run a kid's program. Amen. But I, I don't just ask people to do things because I'm pulling names out of a hat and just hoping it works. I do try to seek the Lord. And believe that I needed to ask Miss Carrie, and then Jody came here, and I'm like, you're not going to be a bum. You need to get involved some way. <laughs> Have the last name Pyle, hallelujah. You're going to represent. No, I'm just I'm <laughs> kidding. So my sister helps out in that. We have some wonderful ladies that have committed themselves to being a part of that. And there has to be a structure. There has to be a leadership process where people say, I'm going to buy in. And it's not that everything's exactly like every single person would want it. But there has to be authority. And there has to be leadership. And there has to be buy-in in order for it to function like it needs to. I'm, he's not here, but I have Brother Nate stand up. Brother Z, Miss Rachel stand up. Head up our children's department. Oh, I am, I am thankful for them. I'm thankful that that level of energy that you see from Brother Z, I see it all the time. I'm not saying his attitude's always right. I don't ask him. I don't care. Have a good attitude, bro. That energy level, he always brings it. Miss Rachel works beside him to help him and to help things move along. And they invest. And, and you can see from kids' programs and from Bible school, the, the, the evidence of their labor. And you say, well, I've been in kids' programs a long time, and I've done these things, and I've done it this way. And that's all well and good. I'm not saying that it's wrong. But we can't have everybody in charge. So you have the structure that's established through them. Brother Andrew Patton, stand up. Brother Andrew Patton just recently assumed responsibility for ushers and greeters. And it's still an early process and it's ongoing, but they're doing a good job. And I'm convinced of this, that given more time, this is only going to continue to elevate and to be one more thing that is done well. And he's going to say at times, no, guys, we need to do this. And guys, we need to do that. And this is what I love about his spirit. There have been a couple of times where just with the ushers, I wanted things done a little bit differently. Just for the sake of appearance and orderliness. And he didn't have an attitude about it. I just said, hey, Brother Andrew, could we make sure to check on this and to tweak this? And he's like, got it, no problem. And it takes that kind of willingness to buy in and for men to say, if I'm going to be involved in this, for women to say, and we need women who are willing to be a part of a greeting team. We need men who are willing to be a part of a greeting team in order to make sure that no guest is ever looking for a seat by themselves, to make sure every guest knows that we are excited that they're here. Somebody's got to be in charge of that. And it can't be, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on board as long as I can dictate how I'm used. Brother Patrick is under the weather, but he and Brother Adam in the back with the sound and the video. I could, I could go on. None of them. Thank you all for standing so long. You can ask Miss June this. No, no, stay up, stay up. I didn't say sit down. I said thank you for standing so long. Thank you for standing means keep standing. I appreciate your suffering. Ask Miss June. She doesn't think she knows everything about cleaning. 
She doesn't, have, she doesn't have any kind of arrogance about that. Ask Brother Z if he thinks he knows everything about children's ministry. Say, no, I don't know everything about children's ministry. Pastor told me this week I didn't know everything about No, I'm just kidding about that. I'm just messing around. We, we are having a good time. Brother Jeff and Miss, and Miss Dana are retired from a pro- professional careers in, in helping keep communities safe. Ask them if they know everything. They think, you just think you know everything. That's not their spirit at all. Brother, Brother Andrew has grown up in, in and around ministry. And he understands what it looks like when it's done well. Ask him if he thinks he knows everything about it. My wife has grown up in ministry, grown up around it. Ask her, ask my sister. She and I grew up. We've never known anything but a pastor's home. Ask her if she thinks she knows everything. Ask Miss Carrie or Miss Lindsay who have much experience and live their lives. And none of them think they know everything, but someone has to be in charge. Someone's got to be in charge. Ministry is not you doing what you want to reach people. Every one of these people can tell you that in one way or another, I've had conversations with them where they've realized I'm going to have to submit to certain expectations that pastor believes are coming from the Lord. None of them, none of them operate on their own whims. Everybody submitted. Ministry is not you doing what you want to reach people. Ministry is you taking your place within the structure of a church in order to know Jesus for yourself, in order to serve him, and in order to help others know Jesus. So you know what you have to be willing to do? You have to be willing to be held accountable. No, men that, want, that work or want to work on the safety team, you've you got to be okay if Brother Jeff comes to you and says, hey, we need to do this a little differently. You gotta be okay if Ms. Dana has some insight because of her career that could be helpful. No, you gotta be okay if Brother Z says, hey, we're gonna do this a little differently. You gotta be okay if Miss Carrie says, no, I don't think we're gonna do it this way. I think we're gonna do it this way. You gotta be okay if Brother Andrew says, no, I don't think that's what we're doing. I think we actually wanna do it this way. You gotta be okay if Miss Andrea says, hey, when we're doing the nursery, we gotta do it like this. And I could go on. Brother Brian does a great job heading up our missions and helping with our missions program and uh, things that are happening there. And he goes to different guys that read. And I spent time, and he was willing to hear it and to take it. Brother Brian, when we do mission letters, this is what I don't want happening, and this is what I do want happening. And he's then gone to other men and said, hey, we need this to happen and this to happen, and this can't happen. This is not our job. And I'm thankful for this. But you got to be willing to say, okay, I am supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to do this. You know what that's called? Cooperation. You guys can now be seated. Thank you for standing, guys and ladies. You know what the problem with a whole lot of churches is? You only want to serve if it's exactly, people only want to serve if it's exactly how they want to serve. But God didn't call us to serve that way. He called us to be cooperative. And you know what cooperation requires? Submission. Not, not, even, not even because you always agree with it. Not even because you always like it or think it's the best way. But you need to be really careful about resisting submission if it's not a clear violation of something that God has stated in his word. You've got to be careful about that. Last thing, the grace of cooperation. I'll be quick on this. 
None of these dudes were perfect. If we base cooperation on perfection, we'll never cooperate with anybody. And I, I appreciate the investigation Brother Dave and Miss Tina Thomas did before they decided to land at West Valley. They moved from, moved from Boston, and so you're already critical when you come from Boston. <laughs> and they checked out some different places, and they sent me an email, tried to respond to the email, and like a lot of emails, I'm not exactly hopeful that this is necessarily going to produce anything. And then we, then we, we sat down and talked, and he had some strong opinions, and I appreciated them. And then he realized that, man, I'm going to—I have strong opinions too, and I try to—I try to have a biblical reason for them. And 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 he and I have been honest about this. He's not always going to land exactly where I land on certain issues, but he—but he has recognized this. Both he and Miss Tina would give testimony to this. We believe that you are trying very hard to be loyal and faithful to who Jesus is and what the Word of God says. No, they believe that. I know they believe that, but here's what they also know, not perfect, flawed, no, flawed, and every one of those people that just stood up, they are flawed as well, and if your cooperation is based on their perfection, number one, you're judging them by a standard that you don't hold yourself accountable to, and number two, you're not ever going to cooperate with anybody, you know why, because none of us are perfect, you know why Andrea and I are still married today? Contrary to what you might think, it's not because I'm awesome. <laughs> you know what it is? It's grace. It's grace. I, no, I love you, babe. Heard of me. I, I love you. I forgive you. You're going to need to forgive me. You already have had to forgive me. You're going to need to show patience with one another. You're going to need to be willing to admit when you were wrong. You're going to need to be willing to humble yourself and say, you know what, that may not be the exact way that I do it, or I think that should be a little different, but I'm on board with the direction we're headed. Has to be grace and cooperation. Lesson number one, extraordinary effort is extraordinary cooperation. God's not done working, but we're going to have to cooperate at an extraordinary level if we want to see everything that he can do. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. For our guests, thanks so much for being here. It's always awesome having you. And perhaps God spoke to your heart. Man, for every, for every guest that comes, whether it's with great regularity or it's just every now and then, I hope every time you're here that you say, that you can say when you leave, man, God spoke to my heart in some way. For everyone that is a regular part of this church, for every guest that maybe you even recognize the need to be a part of a church like this, I wonder if there would be anything in your life, anything in your, in, in your awareness of this church or of your own church life and experience where you would say, man, my willingness to cooperate needs to improve there's some things that I've let set in there's some things that I'm holding on to there's some expectations that I'm not letting go and my my willingness co to cooperate needs to improve 
Maybe it's in my graciousness. Maybe it's in my willingness to actually get involved. Maybe it's in my awareness, my submission. But my cooperation needs to improve. I wonder with every head bowed and every eye closed if there would be someone who would say, man, there's areas where my cooperation needs to improve. And I want God's help. Yep, I see him going up. God bless you. God bless you. Let's all stand together as Brother Adam, Adam begins to sing. God has spoken to your heart. You respond to the Lord while we sing. from your people can produce great results in the lives of those who need you and so lord help us i'm not lord help us to make sure we recognize the difference between compromise and cooperation but lord where it's not really compromising and there's a need to cooperate would you help us to buy into what you're doing in the life of this church and lord it's, it's not that i think there's some kind of upheaval I just know that even in my own heart, I have to regularly take stock of what my attitude is. And so would you help us to be on guard and to be engaged? Thank you for each one that's here. Thank you for a great night. Pray that you bless these baptisms and uh, bless, the, bless the teen cafe. To follow in Jesus' name, amen.